0: Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Come on, We trust in Jesus this morning. We believe in Him this morning. Our faith is in Him this morning. And, um, you know, I, I always come to these moments, end of the year, Uh, You know, times of reflection, times when people think about their lives, times when people are are thinking about how they're going to approach the new year. And I'm always challenged in these moments. I'm always challenged in these moments. And um, I have, over the years, since I started in ministry many years ago, um, I was uh, 20 years old when I got into full-time ministry and been preaching since high school. And uh, in all of that time, what I always wanted to be was passionate. What I always wanted to be was intentional. What I always wanted to be was specific about how I was going to do things. This was this is the way that I preached and the way that I approached my walk with God. And, um, and it led me to a place, and it's the place that I want to uh, share with you this morning to encourage you as we go into 2021 because it led me to a place where I thought I was trusting more and more in Jesus because I was more passionate about everything that has to do with Jesus, more passionate about prayer and reading my Bible and doing things right and being the person God created me to be. I was passionate about it, but unknowingly, I, may, I was actually becoming more passionate about myself more than I was becoming about Jesus. And it actually led me to a place of burnout. It actually led me led me to a place of disillusionment and uh, feeling jaded, feeling worn out, feeling like that fire that I wanted to have in my belly was something that I, I couldn't produce in my own strength. I walked right smack bang into the end of myself. And I've used this analogy before, but it's one of the best to just describe what that feels like. Anybody here ever walked into a closed glass door? right? If you've ever done that, we'll have a little support group afterwards. People still need counseling for what happens when you walk straight into a glass door. You know what the problem with walking into a glass door is? You're so confident when you're walking up to it. You know where you want to go. You can clearly see the path ahead of you, and you are confidently stepping through, and the next thing you smack, right into that glass pane, and you fall down on the ground, it makes this big sound that, you know, that window kind of shudders and wobbles under the pressure, and, you know, it leaves mucus and tears and all kinds of things behind, and you're you're left wondering, you know, what is the meaning of my life, you know, while people standing nearby are trying really hard not to laugh at you and your moment of calamity, uh, you know, And, and that's what it feels like, it sort of feels like when you read the Bible and the Bible tells you this is what you're supposed to do and you're like, I can see the path. The path is clear, the walk is clear, the, the steps are clear. Let me just read my Bible. Have you ever heard a pastor say that the secret to Christianity is just read the Bible and do what it says? Have, any, have, you, have you, any of you tried that? Just read it and do what it says? Just take all the principles, take all the rules, take all the morals, take all the things, just do it? If you've tried, if you've tried hard, you've probably walked smack bang into the end of yourself. And that's what I did. I wanted to be everything that God created. I I kid you not, I was a little bit intense. At the age of 19, at the age of 19, I was genuinely disappointed that I had not yet raised someone from the dead. (laughs) Genuinely, that was on my, I used to make long-term and short-term goals in high school. I wrote down a a short-term goal in high school, short-term, long-term, depending at that age, everything's long-term. But I wrote down a long-term goal. By the age of 19, I wanted to have raised someone from the dead. And I turned 19. I was like, okay, I've got a year. I turned 20 and I was like, Lord, what is happening? And I remember joining a church that valued that kind of, of, of miracle power. And, and, and we obviously value that as well. But, but I wanted to prove myself over and over and over again. And in trying to prove myself to my leaders, in trying to prove myself to others, in trying to prove myself to myself, and more, most importantly, in trying to prove myself to God, I reached the end of myself. I burnt out. Some of you are already planning to approach 2021 like that. Come on, we gotta, we're gonna do this, we're gonna fix this, we're gonna make it happen. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be motivated, but I'm saying that there's something more powerful than that. I got to a place in my life where I had been everything I thought that a Christian was supposed to be, and I felt empty on the inside. I'd been preaching the gospel passionately, but I felt empty on the inside. I burnt out, I was sick for eight months, went to a doctor. Doctor, at one point, drew seven vials of blood from me, tested everything that could be tested, sent me for chest x-rays, came back, and after all of that testing, all he did was slide a pack of sleeping tablets across the desk and say, there's nothing wrong with you. You need to rest. You need to sleep. I'd reached burnout. And in that state, I was asked by Pastor Mark Hodgetts, who spoke here two weeks ago so powerfully, or actually it was last Sunday. It feels feels like forever ago. Um, And uh, and Pastor Mark asked me to preach on the book of Romans verse by verse to second year Bible college students. And while sharing on the book of Romans, while sharing the message of the gospel, something hit me that had never hit me before. At that point, I was an anti-grace preacher. I grew up believing that when people preach about grace, it's because they're giving people license to sin. They're saying it's okay for you to just do what you want because grace will just cover you. That was my understanding of grace at that time. And so I got up still with that mindset and I start preaching Romans. Romans will mess you up, right? You really read Romans, it will mess you up. It'll take your theology, it will roll it in a ball and it will kick it straight through the window. And I started reading Romans. And one passage in Romans 3 caught me. It was like I... I can almost, I can just remember it. I'm so burnt out. I'm sick. It's middle of winter. And I'm standing there and I'm sharing on the book of Romans. And it was like, in, in my mind, the vision that I have of it is that I'm wearing a suit of armor. I've hardened my heart against the gospel because I've made it all about me. And, you know, in the, in the movies, when you've got the guys wearing the suits of armor and then one arrow pierces. There was a verse, I think it's Romans 3, 8 that pierced the armor, my armor at that time. And this is what the verse said. Paul says this, he says, there are some that say that when I preach the gospel, the grace of God, then I am saying that you can do evil because then good may come, because God's grace will apply to where there is sin. As some slanderously report that I say, And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said to me, Adrian, that's what you do. I slander the gospel. I slander the word of Christ because I say, oh, don't preach grace because when there's sin, now there's grace. Oh, now you're just telling people they can sin so that good may come. They said it of Paul. And here I am saying it of those who preach that message. Bam, ouch. I'm still teaching. I'm carrying on with my notes, but I can feel the pain. That arrow went through me. And all of a sudden, things start to unravel. They start to unravel in my theology, and I feel disillusioned. I feel like I don't even know, and I start rereading the Bible. But I mean, when I say rereading, I'm talking day and night. I start reading Charles Spurgeon and Martin Luther and I remember sitting on an airplane and reading uh, concerning Christian liberty by Martin Luther his letter to Pope Leo and it is changing my life all of a sudden all of a sudden I find a fire on the inside of me I remember starting that next year so about, it was a period of about eight or nine months That this process of me just rereading and relearning and rediscovering Jesus and His love for me. And all of a sudden, in, in January, this was in January 2010, 2011, sorry, January 2011, I start preaching a series called On the Heart of God by looking at Jesus in the Gospels. And as I preach this series, the penny drops in my spirit just in a moment. It's like it took nine months for this to be a single moment. And in that moment, I realized it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the finished work of the cross. And I realized, and this was like, I know this sounds so obvious. And doctrinally, I would have checked that box before. I would have said, "Mm, yeah, but this is not a matter that you can accept intellectually. Intellectually. This is something that happens in your heart. It's like a switch that flicks. And when that switch flicked, I realized that I am the righteousness of God. Not because of my actions, but because of the actions of Christ. That I am right with God, not because I am a good person, but because he is a good God. And all of a sudden the pressure that I felt to please God and to, and to be approved by God and to prove myself to everyone around me was swallowed up, was consumed by the message that I was loved by God and saved by God before I had done a single religious thing to try and deserve it. I am saved not because I'm good. But because Jesus is good, and because he completed the work on the cross, and I found a fire, jeez, I started preaching, I started preaching this message, it, it was like being born again again, and I went to a church that, down in, in KZN, that asked me to come and preach at their youth conference, hundreds of young people, and they asked me to preach a message about the fire of God, and I was like, oof, You've asked for the right subject. I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I went down there. I got up. And I said, you know what? I always tried to produce a fire in me. And I, could, I always felt like the fire was going out. Have you felt that way about your own relationship with God? Oh, come on. Stoke it. Pray more. Do more. You know, churn more. Work more. Run harder. But it feels like we're fighting a losing battle you want an everlasting fire, what does Paul say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. And all of a sudden I found that power. You might define the gospel differently, but Paul defines it this way. In Acts 20 verse 24, he says that my one mission is to preach the gospel of his grace. And in Galatians, he says, there is only one gospel. So there's only one gospel, and it's the gospel of grace. There's no other one. Only one message. There's one gospel. And even if an angel comes and preaches another message to you, let him be accursed. Let him be cut off. There's only one gospel. So I get up there. My message had three points. The first point was, you can't. You can't do it. I'm not. A, I'm not people have asked me if I consider myself a motivational speaker. I tell them, I'm a demotivational speaker. I'm here to get you to give up. Legitimately, I'm here to get you. Can you stop? Can you stop trying to fix yourself? And instead, can you believe in the God who will fix you? So I'm like, you can't, number one. Number two, Jesus did. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That is the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Point number three, and this upset this audience. I've never had a more hostile audience in my life. Legitimately, I had a nightmare about it afterwards. And in the nightmare, there was a concrete pillar in the middle of the stage. And when I go around to this side to preach to these people, I lose everybody on that side. And I go around to this side and I lose everybody on that side. And I feel myself sweating on stage. I've lost the people. And I come around one more time and everyone's gone. And I'm alone. My final point was, number one, you can't, number two, Jesus does, number three, Jesus did, number three, Jesus does. When we're able to live according to the word of God, it's not because we're living according to the word of God. It's because Christ in us has enabled us by what? By his grace. Paul says, I'm not even worthy of being called an apostle because formerly I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I have worked harder than all the other apostles, although it was not I, but God's grace that was with me. You see, what I realized is grace isn't just what gets you saved. Grace is the whole story. It's Jesus himself. It's his presence in your life that causes you. If you do something, that's good. Can you stand before God and go, that's it, God, because I'm good. No, without his grace, there is no one righteous. No, not one. Not one seeks him not one honors him, so the only good things that I can do, it's not because Adrian is good, it's because God is good, and his grace is at work in my life, I preach this message, everybody folds their hands, and I have this bad habit, I want to feel like I've gone over the hill with people, right, so I want to feel like they've heard me when I'm preaching, so if you want to make my sermon short, this is how you do it, nod and amen, and they're like, cool, we're done, guys, But nobody does that. Everybody folds their arms, sits and looks at me. And they are mad. I can see the daggers from their eyes. I preached for an hour and a half. (laughs) I can see they're not convinced. Okay, let's go. Colossians 2, not convinced. Okay, let's go. Hebrews 4. Okay, let's go. Romans 5. Like, I'm like, I just keep adding because I just want them to see this is not me trying to be funny. This is the gospel. I left there that day. The message that I shared was sent to the church that I worked for and I lost my job for that message. Nothing will upset people more than telling them that salvation is free. Than telling them that the work of God, I mean, you can preach all kinds of things and make people upset. If you really want to And I want to use strong language here, but if you really want to upset them, (laughs) preach grace. You know why? Something gets up inside of us and says, no, it's me. I want that dignity. I want that right. I want the thing. I want it to be me. I want to fight it. I can feel the people karate chopping my words as I preach it in this church, in that church I was in. You know why? It's death to self. Uh, that was my big thing, right? I remember watching, there was, I, at that point, I was watching all these uh, FMX motorbike guys, and I used to throw youth events, and I used to get the FMX guys from Ride Authority to come and do backflips and risk their lives so that a bunch of teenagers can go, oh, wow, that's cool. Um, and I remember this one guy, he was one of the top guys at the time, and he wrote on his helmet, dead to the world. Yes, and that, you know, it's bravado. Young Christian, bravado. Like, I want to be dead to the world. And so that was my thing. If you ask me, what's your goal as a Christian is to be be dead to myself, to crucify myself. Take up your cross. Anybody wants to follow me, let him take up his cross, crucify himself and follow me. Okay, I wanna do that. Then I was sitting at a dinner one night, having pizza after a Sunday service with uh, a few young people. And and the one couple, they were sitting there, they asked me this question. How do you die to yourself? (laughs) I don't know, man. I'm like... The best I could come up with is take opportunities to deny yourself. So you're sitting in traffic and you want to get angry, don't. <laughs> I couldn't answer that question properly. And then through this process, one Friday night as I was preaching, they were sitting in the front, that same couple. And I said to them, guys, you asked me this question. I didn't have an answer. I found it. Here it is. You want to die to yourself. You want to know how you can be one of those Christians that's dead to the world. Dead to yourself. Here's how you do it. Put your faith in Jesus. Because now it's no longer I, but Christ. Jesus says this. They came to Jesus. They said, how do we do the works of God? He said, simple. Believe in Him whom He sent. That's how you do the work of God. So none of that was in my notes, but... We're just having some fun this morning. I wanna share a message, this message called Rhythms of Grace. And this message came out of this journey that I was on. What I realized is I had complicated by my own assumptions about what God was expecting of me. Rather than truly letting the word of God speak to my heart, I had complicated the gospel. I read 2 Corinthians 11 verse three. Listen to Paul's fear for the church. He says, but I fear. Lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Oh, it's about 10 steps and it's about three processes and it's about, you know, nine days of this and 30 days of that. And and it's good for us to wrestle with these things. There's no problem with it. But Paul says, I have a worry about you, church. My worry is, is that you're going to make it about other things. All across the land, we preach the Christian instead of the Christ. Don't be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The gospel is simple. Don't complicate it. This was my problem with maths in the early grades. I used to think it was because I wasn't good at maths. I found out it was because I was too good at maths. We would start doing fractions, and I would get to the answer, and I'd think to myself, that's too simple and I'd go back and add steps. And when I added steps, I'd get to the wrong answer. It was simple, and I complicated it. It's what we do with the gospel. We take it, it's simple. Jesus died for you. You put your faith in him. His grace applies to your life. You're a new creation, now able to live according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Simple as that. What do we do? No, let's add a few things in there. Now, if you really want to be agree, you must do it, and then you must do this, and then you must do that. And you're not really, if you didn't do that, what have you done? You've arrived at the wrong answer. Now the answer is you. The answer used to be Jesus. It's not about add-ons, formulas, equations. It's about Jesus. So I'm not here to give you more principles for 2021. I'm not going to say to you, here's the, you, because you already know. Do I need to tell you that you should read your Bible? You know that. Do I need to tell you that you should pray? The problem is people know all these things. Why don't they do it? It's because they've missed the heart of what prayer and reading your Bible and walking with God is actually about. So it's become a duty. It's become what? Maths. How many of you loved double maths in high school? Come on, the more maths, the better. Why do we think we we hate maths in school and then we're going to love it in church? Why do you think you're bored in church? Why do you think you're bored in your Christianity? Why do you think it's lost all of its luster? Because you've turned it into equations. Who the heck wants to sit around for equations, formulas, patterns? So I'm not here to add to your Christian equations today or give you more protocols or procedures. I preached that message for too long and I won't do it again. Essentially what I want to do is sing a song. Not for real, though, because then everybody would leave. But I want to echo a song. Listen to this incredible scripture in the book of Zephaniah. Yes, there's a book called Zephaniah in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. How incredible is this? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Can we appreciate that for a minute? When God looks at you and all of our wrestling and all of our fighting and all of our struggling and all of our striving, he comes and he quiets us with his love. And then he gets up and not just sings, but loudly, loudly sings over you. That's the love of God for you. My question to you today is, can you still hear the music? Can you hear the song of God's love over you? Because some of us have been so busy with our equations, not, nothing's happening in here anymore. We're not overwhelmed by the love of God. And without that there's there's nothing. It's empty. This is not a reflection on our goodness. God doesn't sing over us when we've had a good week. And then as we fail, he kind of, his song dies down a little bit. No, it's a reflection on his goodness. He sings because he's good and he loves us. Matthew 11:28. If you take any verse for your new year, take this one. Come to me, you who are tired. Worn out and burnt out on religion. You see, it's not Jesus that burns people out. It's religion that burns them out. And I, Jesus, will give you rest. Can I tell you what's the most challenging thing, just before I carry on reading that scripture? Can I tell you what's the most challenging thing in the world? In fact, it speaks about this in Hebrews 4. The example of disobedience of those in Israel. So they went into the wilderness. You know why they couldn't enter God's rest? Because they couldn't believe. They couldn't trust. Coming to Jesus and saying, I can't, but Jesus, you can, is the most challenging thing to our flesh. Because it's death to the flesh. Okay, I give up. Okay, Lord, my life is in your hands. There is no more difficult thing for us than to do that. And the only way we can do it is by faith. Jesus says, I will give you rest. Walk with me, Jesus says, it's a journey, and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Does that sound like the Christian message that we get preached about so often? No, oftentimes it's like, here's another 10 things. Here's another five things. Here's another three things. Here's another most important thing. Here's another it's all about. Jesus says, I'm not gonna lay anything on you. Heavy or ill-fitting, only what fits. Yes, there's a process. I'm not saying it's easy. But we walk with Jesus. We're yoked to Jesus. Bottom line is, why do we reject this? We don't like situations where we are not in control. We don't like that. For me, even when my wife is driving and she's a great driver, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to let go, it's hard for me to trust. And I'm constantly offering supportive advice as she drives. Hey babe, she's a little bit close on the side here. I just watched that car just with, she's like, how do you think I drive when you're not in the car with me? I'm like, honestly, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> I think I was just accompanying you on every trip. I don't like handing over the control. We want to feel like we have the power that we can determine the outcome. And so it doesn't matter what scenario it is, and we apply this to our faith. Give me something to do, pastor. Give me what I must go do this week. Just tell me that, I'll go do it, or I'll try at least. We do that in salvation, and we struggle to allow Jesus to save us this is so clear and this is really a white male thing more than anything else one of my best friends in the world will he often tells me dude that doesn't really go in the african culture right because because will said he'll come with me to the ocean i've invited him many times but he, i must just never expect that he would actually get into the sea like that is not done that's you know you know when there's so many times now i say to my wife i watch Guys do things, and I'm like, white people. You know, this is just, we do stuff like this, right? And as, and as white males, one of the things we always want to do, for some reason, is we want to see how deep we can go into the sea, right? We want to see, in fact, it's like a mini competition <laughs> to see who will be the deepest. And then you look out there, and you see there's some pretender trying to go deeper than you. And so when he's not looking, you go deeper. And then he looks over, and when he sees you're deeper, the next thing you look back, and he's gone deeper, And I don't know why we do this, right? I don't know why we want to compete with who's going to get eaten by the great white first on holiday. But we do it. And there's a moment that I've experienced many times as I've kind of been, I'm going to be the deepest in the sea today. Where, you know, where the wave picks you up and you come down, your feet can still touch the sand. There's a moment if you go just one step further, you come down and there's no sand. And I have to admit this today, there's a bit of fear. Because it's like, oops, I'm not in control. If, if a current takes me now, I've got nothing but my arms to swim and try and beat the current. It's a scary moment. And then you're kind of like, no, that's fine. You can win and you swim back. Because <laughs> we don't like being out of control. I remember one day, early January, I was uh, with a friend of mine out in Kids Beach on the Wild Coast, about 20 kilometers north of East London. And um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful January morning, but the swell has hit that little part of the wild coast, and the waves are pumping, and everybody in town is like, we're going to the beach today, so we're like, we are got to go out in these waves, but we've got to take something with us, and so we open up his garage at his family's holiday home, and in the garage is like a pink boogie board, but it's kind of cracked in the middle, you know, so it's flopping like this, and his baby sister boogie board. We're like, we're just going to mess around. Let's take these two. And we run off to the beach. And uh, the waves are pumping on the one side. We were like, you know what? We'll drift over here in this little gully that exists on the side of Kids Beach, uh, their main beach. There's no lifeguards. This is a tiny town. And so we get onto these boogie boards. And we're just chatting and we're drifting. And I think we got caught in a current without realizing it. Because the next minute we look back and we cannot see the people on the beach. The beach is just a haze on this warm January morning. And we realized we're behind the waves on the wild coast. And there are a lot of sharks out there. And you know what's worse than being eaten by a shark is being eaten by a shark while being on a pink boogie board. That is the worst way to go. And so we're like, man, we're in trouble. I've, I've got a photo of what Kids Beach waves look like. We're, we're out behind that. Ill-equipped to say the least. And so we're like, the quickest way, we can't fight this current. Let's go back and catch a wave. And so, you know, from the back, they don't look so big. And so we paddle to where the waves are starting to almost break. And I remember distinctly the feeling of seeing that wave come over me like this and thinking to myself, yeah, it wasn't the best idea. (laughs) What I have in my hands is not sufficient. I didn't see my friend for 25 minutes except on one occasion where I saw him roll on some rocks. We didn't even know there were rocks out there. He's rolling, I'm like, well, let's just hope we make it out of this alive. 30 minutes later, we're out on the beach, just thanking Jesus that we survived. I remember actually trying to catch that first wave. I was on the broken pink boogie board. The moment that wave started pushing me, the front dipped in and I was rolled. And I didn't know if I was gonna come up again. And I realized that this is so much of what life is like. We always look at the things we have in our hands. Oh, I've got my career. Oh, I've got my bank account. Oh, I've got my intelligence. Oh, I'll make a plan. Oh, I've got whatever, whatever the thing is that you're like, this is gonna get me through. You know what? It only ever seems sufficient until the proper wave starts breaking over your head. And in that moment, you realize the thing I thought was gonna carry me through is insufficient. You're not gonna make it. You're not gonna make it in your own strength. Your strength isn't sufficient. But yet we still want to remain in control and determine the outcome. And the problem is, and this is our biggest battle as Christians, we are our own greatest idols. We want to be our saviors. We don't want, genuinely, we don't want another savior. This is why the Pharisees, in fact, Rejected Jesus. You know why? Because he preached a message of righteousness through faith in him, grace. As opposed to you, the strong religious man or woman, you make your own way. Romans 10 tells us this it says, having wanting to establish their own righteousness, they rejected the righteousness that comes from God. It's a difficult thing for us to do. We want to save ourselves. Charles Spurgeon says, every man is born a Pharisee. Every man, every woman, we all want to save ourselves. We're Pharisees. We insist on being reckoned with. In fact, have you ever had some calamity befall you or some mishap befall you and thought, you know what, that's because I did that thing wrong. And actually, this is justice. It's just because I kind of deserve this. I know I've done wrong and now God has punished me for that wrong. And so I actually feel it actually gives you like a measure of personal dignity. I was punished for my sin. We'd rather be punished and feel like we've done it ourselves than allow Jesus to forgive us. As Robert Capon says, spare us the indignity of this indiscriminate grace. Andy Stanley says, grace is inviting to the unrighteous but threatening to the self-righteous. However much we may hate the law, we fear grace. So what we do is we take what the Bible describes as the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable. You cannot come to the end of it. And we boil it down to an equation that we can attempt to practice week by week. Not throwing yourself on the mercy of God and floating in the waves and saying, God, I trust you with my life. No, God, just give me a step. Thanks, God, I'll do that step. Cool, God. The unsearchable riches of Christ boil down to an equation. We codify it. We rationalize it. We systemize it to the point where we no longer hear the music. We make hundreds of Neat little spiritual boxes, and we have an answer for everything an explanation, a definition, a principle, a process. A logical, rationalized, mathematical faith where two plus two equals four every time. This is what our faith looks like. It looks like this I'm sick. Here's my verse that I repeat and stick on my window, and I decree and declare I'm healed. I would just work the formula. You know what's not in that formula? Jesus. God, I trust you. What do you do when 2 plus 2 equals 8 and it makes no sense? What do you do in those moments? I don't need Jesus. I just need, where's my scripture? There's my scripture. Do it myself. It's double maths. But Ezekiel 47, and I'm not going to read the scripture today. It talks about how Ezekiel is, is encounters an angel at the temple. And from the altar, water begins to flow. And the water flows out and he goes around and the angel measures the water 1,000 cubits and it's coming up to his ankles. And he goes around again and now the water has risen and it comes up to his knees. And he goes around again and all of a sudden the water is up to his waist. And the next thing you know, In this vision, Ezekiel is floating in a river that he says cannot be crossed, out of control. Feet no longer touching the sand. This is such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to hand your life over to Jesus. In the beginning, you know, water's to your ankles. You're in the water. You're experiencing God's Holy Spirit. You're in church. The things are happening, but you know what? You can still run in ankle-deep water. If you've ever tried to run in knee deep water, it's a little bit harder, but you can still do it. Just lift those knees and you, know, you can still propel yourself forward. When you're up to here, you can still wade. I mean, you can still push through. It's, you're still operating under your own strength. But the journey of the spirit is a journey from you being in control to having all control surrendered to Christ. That is a spiritual journey. It's maturity in Christ. What do you look like when you are totally mature in Jesus? You look like a man floating in a wave. Out of personal control, but in perfect control of Jesus. In his perfect control. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord, your God, with how much of your strength? with ankle strength, knee strength, hip strength, know all of your strength. And do not lean on your own understanding. God will often bring us into these seasons where everything, all of our neat little boxes of how he's supposed to act and how things are supposed to work and how the equations are supposed to function will fail you. Your theologies will fail you like they did mine. And it's in those moments what you will learn, when you will learn what true faith is actually all about. Not a formula to be worked, a God to be trusted. Walk with me, Jesus says, I'll teach you. The Bible says that the law of God, the Ten Commandments of Moses and the 613 Mosaic Laws, or Old Testament laws, are written on our hearts. We know what they are. They're written on our hearts. And this tells us something. It tells us that we're supposed to live from the heart, not from an external list. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the laws were written on tablets of stone, but God says now in the New Testament, by my spirit, they will be written on your heart. So this is where we're supposed to live from. Not seeing our relationship with God as a maths equation, but like Ephesians 5 says, constantly making melody. There's the song, in our hearts unto the Lord. So I want to submit this idea to you this morning. Maths and music are actually completely related. Music cannot work without maths, because otherwise there would be no rhythm, right, Mahi? Is it not right? Come on, there's there's timing, there's mathematical equations, there's things that sound right and do not sound right according to how the maths functions. So maths and music actually come from the same place, the harmony, the melody, the timing. And it's the same with the law of God, living according to the law or living according to grace. They're related. The law is holy. Why? Because it expresses the righteousness and the righteous standard of God. So the law is holy, even as Paul says. We can look at the law, we can go to the Old Testament, and we can say, I am going to follow this. But you know what the big difference is between the law and grace? You know what the big difference is between maths and music? You can't dance to maths. I mean, if Mehi got up here, took the MD mic and said, all right, guys, we're gonna, I'm going to spout some equations. Let it move you. <laughs> How many of us would start moving to the rhythm? You can read the law. It won't change your heart. It won't move you. But when you hear music, sometimes you're sitting in your car at the petrol station. You've got your window open and a taxi parks nearby, and they've got a beat going, and even though you don't necessarily like the music, all of a sudden you realize your foot's tapping. It's something that happens deeper inside of you than, okay, this is maths, let me dance. Do you think if you ever went to a wedding, do you think the best dancer on the dance floor is gonna be the person that goes, right, step one, left? Even though there is that song, hop two times, you know the whole thing, like cha-cha, real smooth. You know the whole thing? If you would imagine if you were dancing off of instructions, you'd be the worst dancer on the dance floor. It's the person who can hear and feel the music, the grace of God, that begins to move according to the unforced rhythms of grace. You're dancing. You don't even know that you're fulfilling the law. And you're doing it from the most authentic place you've ever done it before. Not, I'm trying to impress God, but God is moving me. He, my savior, my king, my God is singing over me and his song is moving me to fulfill the law I don't even know I'm fulfilling. It's the law of love, it's the law of Christ. In maths, you're always figuring things out. In music, you're just being moved. Maths only satisfies you when you get all the right answers. But with music, you don't need an answer. The rhythm of God's grace, I wholeheartedly and completely believe, will move you to do things in a way that honors God that you were never able to do trying to follow the law. Because it transforms the heart. This is why the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can do all the religious things, but like Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now you get to be genuinely yourself, no more pretense. I remember in that time when I still had all these people, there was a lot of kind of semi scandal around me having moved on from that church after that message I preached. And I remember they were all talking about, no, now they're re preaching the law every Sunday because we have to counter what Adrian said. And I remember tweeting something back when Twitter was still a thing. I said, You can all rev your religious engines at the line to see who gets across the finish line first. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn left and go have an ice cream. I was super creative. Because what I realized is I'm not trying to impress anybody. I can rest. You guys, Rev, come to the, you, you haven't come to the end of your strength yet like I had. But I'm just going to sit here and allow Jesus to be my Savior. Allow Jesus to be my Savior. Will you let Jesus do the heavy lifting in 2021? In fact, I didn't even realize this, but this is the 10-year anniversary of me preaching this message. I'm so grateful. I can promise you now I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better pastor. Not perfect. By any means, you can ask my wife. But I shudder to think what I would have been like if on top of all of this, I still held on to self-righteousness. Shudder to think. What I would have done to my kids, to my church, to the people under my care. Because all I would have done every Sunday is point at each of them instead of pointing them to Jesus. Titus 2 verse 11, my final scripture. says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. A lot of people stop there and they go, yeah, that's salvation. We need grace for salvation and then after that it's up to us. As Pastor Mark says, the Greek for that is rubbish. What does grace do? It teaches you. Did you know that grace teaches you? What does it teach you? Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. If Jesus became to us grace upon grace, and we say grace leads us to sin, what we're saying is Jesus leads us to sin. It's a blasphemous thing to say. No, grace, when God is present in your life, it teaches you to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance. You know, when you love God, you're not afraid of His coming. You cannot wait. You're waiting in expectation. Why? Because you're not, oh, what have I done wrong? What is God going to say when he arrives? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I, am I impressive enough? No. I can't wait to meet my Savior. Why? Because we know we're saved. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance, appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, And purify for himself his own special people, this is what grace does, zealous for good works. Because I know that as I'm preaching and as I preach this message, people always think, but where's the works? Come on, faith without actions is dead, pastor. Yes, it is. You want to do truly righteous works? Only possible in Jesus. Only possible by grace. God not only asks us to do the work, he causes us to become, 2 Corinthians 3.18, transformed from glory to glory into his image. As we behold him, we become the kind of people that naturally live in that way. I don't just want to do, I want to be. Being is better than seeming. I don't want to seem good. I want to actually be it. So I'm not going to lie to myself about where I'm at, pretend like my effort is enough. I'm going to say, God, I'm not there. Will you help me? Now you're living in grace. Now you're fulfilling the gospel. The gospel is not us trying to get all of our ducks in a row. It's admitting that we haven't seen our ducks in a very long time. And we're trusting Jesus to bring them home. Gospel's simple, at the same time, unsearchable, mysterious. And this is where we gotta stop trying to figure it out, close our eyes, and just listen to the music. I love what Robert Capon says. He refuses to have this whole thing boiled down to an equation, and he says this, got that quote from Robert Capon. No simplifying of the gospel. We're not going to make it an equation. No Chinese restaurant church where we eat plausibilities and feel hungry an hour later. Have you ever walked out of church going, "Oh, I feel so stirred." An hour later, you're like, "Ah, I was pumped an hour ago, but right now it's Monday coming, and I just feel finished. Why is the fire going out? You're eating plausibilities. You're snacking on equations. You're not feasting on Jesus. we have got to feast, feed on Jesus. And your energy will not run out. You will run and not grow weary. 2021, not I'm going to do. Lord, I'm going to trust. Can you feel the rest, the peace, like into your life, like as you go, okay, God, I trust you. This kind of faith in Christ satisfies us as we embrace the mystery of the gospel, embrace the sovereignty of our Savior, and lose ourselves in the music. It liberates us to be honest. It sets us free from religious ideas of holiness. And it enables us to discover our true identity as the ones whom Jesus loves and continues to love and never stops loving. That's who you are. And that's who you will be in 2021. So, I want to conclude by saying this. In 2021, let's enjoy the music. Let's enjoy the music. Let your relationship with God be a song, let it be a dance. Let His grace have its full effect in your life so that you can be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning?